0: How do we recreate outdoors when there's kind of this overarching risk and threat and access needs and you know there is um appears to be so many more people recreating out now so how do we do that in a way that it's fair and accessible and who better to answer those questions than disabled folks
1: hey there Welcome back to Disability, Movement, Etc. I'm your host, Dr. Andy. For the second conversation in this series, I invited Siren Nagakairi. Siren is an activist, writer, community organizer, and outdoor enthusiast. They have become a leading expert and advocate in making the outdoors more inclusive and accessible for the disabled community and others that may be underrepresented. Siren grew up with multiple disabilities and chronic illnesses, including Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and postular orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. They also lived with depression, anxiety, and CPTSD. In their mid-twenties, when Siren started hiking and exploring what their body could and couldn't do in the outdoors, they found a lack of infrastructure, support, and resources for the disabled community. It simply isn't enough to know whether a trail is wheelchair or otherwise ADA accessible. How exposed might it be? What's the grade? Are there any crossings? How slick might it be? And what happens in the case of an emergency? Is there cell service? Trying to answer all these questions, Siren founded Disabled Hikers in 2018 with four main goals. Organizing group hikes, celebrating disabled people's experiences, facilitating those outdoor experiences by making specific information available, and advocating for change throughout the outdoors in the outdoor industry. Siren is now working on hiking guidebooks for Disabled Hikers with Falcon Guides, a leading publisher of guidebooks. Her first book, The Disabled Hiker's Guide to Western Washington and Oregon is available now. You can find it at bookshops or wherever else you might buy books. This conversation took place live on YouTube back in October of 2021. It's been lightly edited for the general ahs and ums and weird kind of awkward spaces. If you'd like to watch the conversation in its entirety, please head over to yt.columbodugavito, all one word, dot com, or you can search for Dr. Andy on YouTube. Enjoy. I would like to welcome Siren. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: All right, here we go. So I will turn it over to you. The floor is yours, Siren. Great, thank you.
0: I'm Siren Nagakiri, they, them pronouns, and I am a white non-binary person with uh, medium brown hair. I'm wearing a rust-colored jacket, and behind me is just kind of a scene of my house, as so many of us are um, continuing to work from home, which for me has been great and um, really has opened up a lot of opportunities for me, which I really appreciate. So I um, started Disabled Hikers in 2018, and um, as you mentioned, I really have experienced a lot of barriers to access in the outdoors for the majority of my life and have felt very excluded from outdoor recreation. Really, it started in grade school, in college, in high school, you know, as I um, started getting older in early adulthood, and just continually met obstacles and a lack of understanding and acceptance about what my needs were in the outdoors, the kind of information that I needed, the kind of support that I needed, you know, and there's, of course, so many examples of that in my life. But um, I think a couple that I would really like to highlight is, so in community college, I, of course, was engaged in a, took a, um, like an earth science course. And we um, had the opportunity to take a trip to um, the Grand Canyon. And I grew up in Florida. So this was like, of course, could have been the other side of the world to me, I had never left the state never gone anywhere before in my life. And this was like the first opportunity for me to really explore a new place. And um, the trip just went so horribly for me. The, you know, the professor really didn't understand what I needed, didn't ask me any questions about what I needed to be able to engage in the material or in the trip and with my other classmates. So I often found myself just like sitting on a bench at a viewpoint while everyone else went off and had this amazing experience. And, you know, I always tried to, of course, make the best out of it. And just, I felt like it gave me an opportunity to really just kind of be in, in that moment and experience what, whatever it was that I could in the way that, you know, in the way that I could. So after that experience, I did feel like I had a different kind of connection with that place at the time than perhaps my other classmates did who were all busy running from here to there and you know trying to get this done and that done. Meanwhile, I spent a lot of time just kind of sitting there and enjoying the space and the place. So that really kind of created a real sense of meaning and purpose for me. And then that kind of continued, of course, as I grew older and I engaged in some more um, educational opportunities, including I um, went to a herbal training program where we spent a lot of time outdoors and things like that. But the inspiration for disabled hikers really came after I moved to uh, Northwest Washington State to the Olympic Peninsula, um, which is where Olympic National Park is located. And um, it's a stunning area. You know, it's old growth rainforest, like the really the last remaining temperate rainforest in the continental United States, and it's just a stunning place. So I was out, you know, just getting to know this new place, and I went out on a hike in um, the National Forest that was a section of a trail of a, you know, uh, in a system that I was already kind of familiar with, but I hadn't hiked this particular trail yet. So I started out and everything that I read about it had said it was easy. There was no obstacles, you know, super easy hike, nothing to worry about. And as soon as I started out on it, there were like multiple really steep stairs, like a really steep drop off, lots of loose rocks, um, steep inclines and all of that. So, you know, it was really kind of dangerous for me um, in a lot of ways, you know, this trail that was supposed to be really easy. And eventually I did make it to my destination, which was this bridge over a really stunning waterfall. And I was just exhausted and in pain and just feeling really defeated. But as I kind of, you know, sat down and leaned against the bridge railing and was just watching this waterfall flowing by and just inspiration struck in that moment. And I said, why don't I do something about this? You know, I've been having this experience my entire life. Why don't I do something? So i basically went home and threw up a website and started, you know, writing a few things about my experiences and some trail guides. And before I knew it, disabled hikers was born and just kind of started taking off and, you know, here we are. So I'm really proud of it. Um, you know, and it all, it takes a lot of work and there is of course still a lot of work that needs to be done.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, sorry to hear of your experiences, but I'm sure they are, are not, you know, it's not the exception. I think it's it's sort of the rule, and which is very unfortunate. And, and particularly for myself, I'm also a big outdoor person. And I, I find particularly with, with my own depression and my own ADHD, that even taking 10, 15 minutes to, to just go for a walk and get out into nature, even just to sit or, or it doesn't have to be anything strenuous. It's just so beneficial. But you know, it is a privilege that I, I am as able-bodied as I am, that I don't necessarily have to worry about all the extra stuff, right? The the slope, the incline, the the steepness. And so I, I really commend you in order to, to I mean, see this and, and start building something from it. I mean, it's very, very cool. Can you talk a little bit, you know, about kind of what you've done with disabled hikers since, I guess, 2018? So in the last kind of couple of years and And maybe a little bit about how, you know, the pandemic may have shifted or or encouraged that, because I know lots of people have have really taken to the outdoors um, since the pandemic started.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So Disabled Hikers started as um, providing trail guides. So Hmm. I created um, kind of this unique rating system called the Spoon Rating System Mm -hmm. that um, is really designed to give like really objective information about quality and accessibility and quality of the trail to be, you know, again, much more objective than kind of your typical ratings. So then I started writing those and just produce, trying to produce a lot of more resources than is what currently available. Of course, uh, we have the social media and started building up more community around that. And I feel like it really gave people a lot of opportunity to connect with one another, um, Mm -hmm. which is something that is really important. Um, And from there, I started leading group hikes and um, to bring people together in the outdoors and Mm -hmm. offer an outdoor experience that was really tailored to people's individual needs and kind of, you know, explore how do we interact with each other. How do we address everyone's needs in um, the outdoor space? So it's really a, a, I feel like it's a very creative and very understanding environment um, and offer people a lot of opportunities, you know, but of course, when the pandemic hit, that actually changed a lot for us. Um, I didn't feel comfortable leading group hikes because, um, you know, a lot of disabled folks are at much greater risk um, with COVID. So we hit pause on that but it did, I feel like, kind of give um, disabled hikers more of an opportunity to reach out kind of beyond the disabled community to the larger outdoor recreation community because there has been so much more conversation about how do we recreate outdoors when there's kind of this overarching risk and threat and access needs. And you know there is um, appears to be so many more people recreating out now. So how do we do that in a way that is fair and accessible? And who better to answer those questions than disabled folks? Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that has really, I feel like, provided a um, kind of helped expand the conversation a little more and um, give disabled folks a platform that uh, previously wasn't being provided.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think I want to start our our little conversation here with talking about what draws you so strongly to to hiking and to being in nature.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it's really just that that being in nature piece. And of course, there's always the question of how do we define nature, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it something that's out there? I don't think it's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always here and within us and all around us. But, you know, growing up as a sick and disabled kid, I um, and again, I, like I said, I grew up in Florida where it's very hot most of the time. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I um, you know, really spent a lot of time just like hanging out in my yard and mm-hmm. watching the birds flying overhead and the bees and, you know, the lizards and all of that that were just all around me in my yard. You know, again, because I couldn't necessarily get out for those big, those big outdoor experiences. Mm -hmm. So I found it where I could. And that really, I think, created in me, you know, it made outdoor experiences really important. And as I grew up and I realized that like hiking was a thing that I, you know, started just trying that out and figuring out for myself, like what I could do and what I couldn't do. um, You know, taking some risks because there wasn't information and resources available for me. Sure. Um yeah, I'm just figuring out I would say went.
1: Yeah. Are there outside of hiking, are there any other activities that you really enjoy doing in the outdoors?
0: Um hiking's probably the biggest one. And yeah. you know, but that for me that includes like just simple things as you know, like I said, sitting outside or going for mm-hmm. a picnic or going for a scenic drive.
1: Yeah. Things like that. So. yeah. Yeah, hiking <laughs> hiking can be used pretty synonymously with a lot of different activities. Absolutely. Now you you mentioned that sort of the I guess the catalyst was moving sort of the to the Pacific Northwest and I mean there's certainly no shortage of outdoor opportunities up there unless you're disabled right in that case then the accessibility certainly becomes a major factor so what types of barriers have you faced when you're trying to ac- access those outdoor spaces.
0: For sure, a lack of information. Um, Everything Mm -hmm. that is provided um, out there, you know, all of the hiking blogs and the trip reports and the trail apps, all of them are designed assuming that everyone is able-bodied. So there's a real lack of information that considers the variety of ways that people access and enjoy the outdoors. It's really kind of just, you know, one idea. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, a real lack of understanding among the outdoor community in general and even among park rangers and land managers and and everyone in kind of in the larger outdoor industry about, you know, again, about the variety of access needs and the variety of experiences and bodies.
1: And with, with your organization with Disabled Hikers, I know we've sort of talked about kind of some of the great things and groups and connections, and, and now you're working with Falcon Guides in order to um, sort of write the, the Disabled Hikers Guide, right? When working with those folks who are in the outdoor industry who don't necessarily have understanding of dis- disability, how how do you approach those conversations? How do you approach, um, you know, land managers who they may not know how to make something accessible or, or they might not know that their trail is not as accessible? So how do you how do you go about doing that?
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's a challenge for sure. And, you know, I kind of have to approach it on a one one-on-one level.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it, But I think, you know, I think a lot of land managers, maybe they're aware, but they don't know how to fix it or mm-hmm. they don't know how to go about making changes or they think that accessibility only means one thing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so it just means paving a trail and then it's all good.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think for me, I will often go to a place and kind of do my own site review and, you know, figure out what is working, what isn't working, and then provide that information, um, and then work one-on-one to figure out, like, where where are the changes that can be made? What's the low-hanging fruit? Um, mm-hmm. What are the things that would take a little more time and investment to do? What would be appropriate for the space? And just starting that conversation about, you know, the different types of access and what that means and how it doesn't have to be a major, a major project.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you talk about different types of access, what do you mean by that?
0: Mm -hmm. I think in the outdoors, there's a large focus on creating like wheelchair accessible Mm -hmm. sites and trails. And, um, but then there's, there's just a very one, one idea about even what wheelchair access means. And, but there's a variety of types of wheelchair users, a variety of types of adaptive equipment that is available, experience levels and all of that. So You know, not all wheelchair users necessarily need a level paved trail. They may be able to do something a little more rugged, you know, as long as there's, you know, for example, no major barriers in the trail surface and things like that. Um, And then also making sure there's resources available for people who are blind or deaf, um, who are autistic, neurodivergent, have Mm -hmm. cognitive or intellectual disabilities, making sure that information that is available is provided in a way that is accessible for them make sure there's even just places for people to sit and water available and, you mm-hmm. know, a good restroom. Um, yeah. Things like that are all simple ways to really improve access.
1: And so in, all, in your work, you know, what what is it that's still needed, right? I mean, I, I know we've got a long way to go and you've just started, right? But as as we look at how to make spaces and activities more accessible, I guess, what are those low-hanging fruit that those listening can if they're a program manager have access or they want to access a trail what could they do to better access their own community trails
0: yeah um you know I think um starting out close to home for me has been kind of the way that I got got started in this um you know a lot of you know like developed state parks and city parks tend to be a little more accessible um, um, and a little less, you know, rugged in the way that kind of pre- presents a lot of accessibility issues. So those are good places to start. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, for me at least, a big focus of my work is that it's um, while like the concrete access things are really important. Unless we change the culture and the conversation, it's not going to mean a whole lot. You know, it's not a build it and they will come kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, we really have to change the way people think about this.
1: And 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 to that point, you know, in trying to change culture, have you faced any resistance in order to in 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 your push for better access?
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, there's yeah a lot of resistance, <laughs>
1: um,
0: but I think kind of one of the most common ones um, in the outdoor community is this idea that building inclusion and access will increase our impact on the environment. Mm-hmm. and um, And that's really not true, but it's also a very entitled perspective, I feel like. Um, Because, you know, people are already having an impact on the environment. It's just the idea that their impact is normal and acceptable, whereas anyone else's is not. So I think, um, you know, I like I don't want to go into the wilderness and pave all these trails, um, you know, and like build roads everywhere and all of that. That's not what I'm advocating for. Mm. It's just thinking about how we create access and how we're including people and the ways that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, creating access actually helps. I mean, it helps everyone and it can actually reduce our impact in a lot of ways. A well-designed universally accessible Mm -hmm. trail will reduce the impact on that site and on other locations.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point. Um, that you bring up the idea of, of actually using universal design and, and considering the trails that we develop, um, because one of the conversations I've seen in, in, many different ways and in many different spaces is that idea of building things and, um, building up natural spaces. And I think you summed it up very, very succinctly, right? We are already having an impact, right? What it, doesn't necessarily mean (laughs) just because we're not having an impact in this one particular area that what we're doing isn't ultimately impacting that natural space. Um, But if we actually consider it of what's going on and the trails we do have, we focus on those and make those, like you said, well-designed, well-traversable. Cause I've, I mean, I've seen countless examples of a trail where it doesn't necessarily have to be a disabled person that can't access it, but it's simply a rocky rooty trail, and so people will walk around it. So then they start they just widen the trail and create this alternate path or they the the switchback is too steep, so they cut it and so we end up still having these impact items. and so how how do we get? I mean, I guess how do we get maybe, maybe you have the answer, maybe you don't. But how do we get folks who are land managers, who are the folks who are, you know, at the state parks or, or uh, even local municipal parks or hopefully at some point our national parks. But how do we get them to understand that accessibility means more than just sort of this one narrow idea?
0: Yeah, I I wish I had a simple answer for that.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. You wouldn't be talking to me if you did. You certainly. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it comes down to conversations and Mm -hmm. having land managers talk with disabled people and, you know, making not only inviting them to the table, but making that table accessible for them. You know, I. Talk to a lot of people who work um, in kind of these large agencies, and they say, "Well, we invite disabled people to have conversations with us all the time, and they don't show up." Mm. And I say, "Well, I... are you making it accessible?"
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. exactly, yeah. There's yeah the the lack and limit of accessibility is not just in one space; it's it's pervasive, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's definitely a a tackling at least in my understanding in my in my own work, it's tackling accessibility in all spaces and not just the, you know the space we may actually want to engage in, right the space that um, we go for a hike in or the, the local recreation center that we want to um, attend there' just there's so many levels of accessibility issues in all of those items. Can you talk a little bit about the things that have helped you? So what types of supports? maybe for you or even the ones that you've helped others through the community groups, the hiking groups that you put together, what types of um, supports have been really helpful and, and how can others maybe incorporate that into what they're doing?
0: I think connecting with other disabled people for sure has mm. been um, really meaningful for, you know, for my own experience and learning, um, you know, in doing this work that has been really meaningful for me and just realizing that I'm not alone and that there are other people trying to figure this out, um, has been really, really good. Um, and then I think, you know, I think one of the low hanging fruit things that we mentioned earlier is that that information piece and Mm -hmm. making sure that the information that is provided is thorough and detailed and accessible. Um, so, you know, Like one of the things I love is if I go to a trail or recreation site and there's a a trail access information sign right there at the trailhead that has like all the stats of the trail that I need and a map and all of that really Mm -hmm. well laid out. um, That makes it so much more easier to decide if I want to do the trail right then and makes me feel much more confident to be there and like Mm -hmm. people have at least really thought about this.
1: Mm -hmm what types of things have you done for those group outings so how have you gone about because obviously everybody's access needs are a little bit different so if you're putting together a group how do you consider sort of the the variable needs of that group
0: yeah so it um starts before i even put the hike together so i always Mm -hmm. try to go out and do a review of that trail Mm -hmm. and write up a guide. Um, or, you know, train someone else in that location to do it if I'm going to be traveling there. Um, Mm. So that that information is provided ahead of time. Then I give people opportunities both when they register and um, then I connect with them one-on-one to discuss their access needs and anything that they may need to feel safe or comfortable um, in that group experience. And then once we all come together, everyone has an opportunity to share with the group about their needs if they choose to. Um, and then it's a process of just constantly you know checking in with each other mm-hmm. throughout the event and making sure that like no one's being left behind, everyone is feeling comfortable and safe and having their needs met.
1: yeah, you know maybe this is kind of i guess maybe an outdoor sort of person thing is is i've I found the outdoor community tends to be a little bit more accepting than some others, though we there obviously there's still issues. But at least when attention is sort of brought to it, it seems there's a shift that folks are going, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. I didn't realize that before. or I didn't recognize that before. Um, and particularly being in the Pacific Northwest, there, you know, there's a ton of outdoor opportunities. And I think the culture up there is probably a little bit more accepting than say other parts in the country in terms of providing access. Do you have any advice for those in other parts of the country where, you know, they they might have or might face a little bit more resistance to that acceptance, what they could do to help them get into the outdoors easier?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think everywhere has its issues, right? Like in the Pacific Northwest, there's still lots of misconceptions. Um, mm-hmm. It's not this... Idealic community that a lot of people perceive it to be. Um, you know, I yeah. grew up in the South, like I said. In both issues, both areas have their issues. Trust me. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, you know, so I think it's really just a matter of, um, I mean, there's no one size fits all solution, right? Like that's um, kind of um, a core part of being disabled. Like everyone has yeah. to figure out their own access needs. But I think you know, starting out small and figuring mm. out what what works for you. Um, And, you know, being just try learning how to be your own self advocate that doesn't come naturally, especially when we're told in so many ways that our needs don't matter. Um, It is definitely a process. But, you know, connecting with other disabled folks um, has really helped me in that process. You know, and a lot of that community is available online where you can access it from anywhere. So, yeah. um, you know, just starting to have that conversation and figuring out, you know, how, how you can do this for yourself in your own community and, yeah. and getting out there and, and, you know, figuring out how to make that change and have those conversations.
1: <laughs> yeah. How can non-disabled outdoor enthusiasts be better allies?
0: believe disabled people when we tell you this is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> like that shouldn't have to be said, but it does.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: Yeah. And, you know, and learning more about, about access and accessibility mm. and what that means. And, you know, again, that when we're advocating for access, it doesn't mean that we want to like change everything. You know, mm. it just means that we want to have our needs met just like everyone else. And we have that right. So Yeah, just figuring out how we do that together.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I heard it. um, It wasn't in the context of the outdoors, but in short, it was disabled people have a right to try everything their able-bodied peers do, right? And it's just a matter of how do we make sure that when you try, you have that access and that support to do so, and that you know it might mean that there are there are certain trails or spaces that it might be hard to get up to a fourteen. Thousand foot summit, right? Sure. And as a wheelchair user, but that certainly doesn't mean that you can't access other spaces that are in that area and still get the benefit of being outdoors. And still, you know, I think a part of at least for me, there's some there's some joy in in the challenge of of, of going to a trail and hiking it, and you know, and getting the joy of, of completing it. Right? It's not necessarily that you know. I think. People may have this misconception that when we talk about accessibility, it's just, oh yeah, it just means easy, right? We want an easy button for everything. And that I, I think there's nuance to that, right? We, we just want folks to be able to try to do that trail and, and barriers that can be eliminated right, or, or removed or reduced. I think we have the, the not the right, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? need, right? We we have the requirement, right, to make those changes. In what ways do you think that programs that already exist, how they could whether they're focused on, you know, helping meet the needs of disabled folks or if they're just just a general outdoor group, how might they better support folks who are disabled to to maybe join their group or or just support their own initiatives?
0: Yeah. I think recognizing that, you know, you know, disabled folks make up at least, you know, 25% of the population. If you add in chronic yeah. illness, it's 60% of the population. So there are already disabled and chronically ill people engaging with your program. You just may not know it. So when you approach it that way, you know, and realize that you don't have to necessarily change your entire program or anything like that, just, you need to rethink how you're doing what you're doing. So, um, Go in with that assumption that there are disabled people already in your program, that you need to ask everyone about their access needs and provide an opportunity for everyone to share what it is that they need to be in that space. Because whether you're disabled or not, you have access needs,
1: um,
0: you know, uh-huh. and then um, providing really good information and being flexible um, and understanding that, you know, it's not a one size fits all then you're going to have to adapt and adjust your program.
1: Yeah. Now, when we think of the outdoor community, it, it tends to be quite small, right? When we, we sort of, at least in my experience, when I, I have friends who now work in the outdoor community and, and they work for different outdoor companies or, or as freelancers, you realize how really everyone knows everyone else at some point, right? And how do we go from having a small sort of woven community that has really very relatively few examples of disabled individuals in the outdoors, right? We often, we we don't see disabled athletes really marketing skiing or climbing or other sort of outdoor pursuits, though we know they exist, right? There's lots. Um, How do we go about making sure that when outdoor companies start to get involved and, and that, that outdoor community does get activated, that accessibility is a part of the plan, right? That when we go into create new wild space, or I don't want to say to create new wild spaces, but to protect certain spaces, you know, the, it has been the back and forth about bear's ears over the last few years and, and sort of these other kind of national monuments or forests, et cetera, how do we go about making sure that accessibility is a, a major part of that?
0: Yeah, I think, um, again, it, um, having disabled people involved in that process and mm-hmm. seeking their opinion and their knowledge is really important. Um, and disabled folks bring more to the table than only, you know, ideas about disability and accessibility you know, and I, of course, I want to avoid any broad strokes, because, you know, people with disabilities are just as diverse as any other community. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, broadly speaking, I feel like, um, you know, we do bring a certain level of creativity and, and flexibility and knowledge to the table that really benefits everyone, um, you know, in doing these projects. So, yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. I I 100% agree with that. Um, And, you know, I think it's, certainly not comparable, but it's, it's very similar to the idea of, of any diversity initiative and then expecting, you know, only putting that work on folks who may be black or Latinx and and assuming that, yeah, they know all the answers, right? Because they're diverse. And Mm -hmm. and assuming that um, the only purpose disabled folks would serve in any of those cases would be, oh, they're, they just, they tell us what's accessible or not. Not that, they have any other value in that, and so I think that's an important piece too. Um, and it, I, I think you're right. You kind of mentioned at the beginning it is a changing of a of a culture, right? It's a changing of an understanding and um, and our perception of of ability, right? And, and understanding that most disabled folks I know just just want to engage in the outdoors, right? We just if, if that's if that's the thing, or they just want to be able to try to do it, and so you know, in your experiences in working with folks, what do you see is, particularly with the outdoors, what do you see as the benefit um, when folks do finally, ab- are, are finally able to access it there, you know, put at, at the supports that they might need?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think for me, at least, um, and, you know, I want to kind of give a disclaimer that I don't, necessarily want to like apply any like metaphorical meaning to engaging with nature or that mm-hmm. being outdoors is going to be this epiphany experience or anything like that it's not mm-hmm. it's you know it can be just as simple as you know i like to hang out outside <laughs> which is totally valid you
1: mm-hmm. know you don't
0: have to go outdoors to have some epiphany experience Yeah. Um, But for me, being outdoors in nature has really provided a sense of belonging that society has not given me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when I go outdoors and I see the different ways that plants and animals exist and the resilience that they demonstrate in the outdoors and things like that, that has you know given me a sense of belonging and recognizing Mm -hmm. that there are many different ways to be embodied and that, you know, everyone kind of has their role in the ecosystem and that is all just as valid
1: yeah i really like how you put that um because that sort of goes to the the idea of philosophy of where i guess we're humans right and broadly speaking where we fit sort of in this broader scope of things um and i think oftentimes we th- we sort of think we're separate right we think we're 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 off on our own and, and what we do has no interconnectedness with with these other aspects and you know, maybe that does get a little bit to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, this idea of, of defining natural spaces, right? And I think oftentimes we do think that, you know, oh, outdoor spaces, natural spaces, that's o- that's over there. We contain them in national forests or state parks or what have you. And right, just looking out my window, right, there are plenty of trees, there's grass, there's animals that uh, inhabit any or all of them. Right. And realizing that we are a part of that whole ecosystem, I think is, you know, maybe that's the shift we need in order to start thinking about accessibility. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's this idea that there's the the built environment and the natural environment and yeah. never the two shall meet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not true at all. Um, yeah. you know, it's very much intertwined.
1: Um, yeah. 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 We've been our built and natural environment have been intertwined since the beginning. Right? I mean, it's, it's never changed. What advice do you have for those who want to get into, you know, either you know, into nature or into doing sort of more outdoor type of activities, but they just don't know where to start? Right? What, what advice might you have for them?
0: Yeah, I think, um, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but starting small um, mm-hmm. in whatever is the most accessible to you. Um, and you know, that may mean, you know, sitting on a bench in your, uh, you know, in your apartment community and just sitting outside. Um, it may mean, you know, taking the bus to the closest little city park, um, you know, and just starting there and figuring out, you know, what am I comfortable doing? What can my body do in the outdoors? Um, and then, you know, again, connecting with people um, with other people doing this. Um, and you know, there's lots of like trail app resources out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and most States have like a trails coalition that, um, mm-hmm. often provides, um, trail information on their website. So mm-hmm. doing some research around that and, you know, finding other hiking groups online that can provide information. Um, you know, just, and I always kind of caution, like go into that with, a bit of of an expectation that it's going to kind of suck.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just be prepared for that. But
1: yeah. Temper, temper expectations, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, when, when folks do go online or they look at, at trail maps and, you know, obviously not ones that you have done, they've gone really into depth, but What should they look for if they're worried about um, a trail maybe being too strenuous or, or, you know, not necessarily maybe being outside of what they feel they could do at the moment?
0: Yeah, so I kind of look for a few basic uh, features or information, and that's the surface of the trail. So if it's going to be paved or rock or gravel or dirt, um, and then how steep the trail is, the elevation gain, the Um, steepest grade on the trail, um, which, Mm. you know, represents how steep any section of the trail is going to be. Mm. Um, And then, you know, are there places to rest on the trail, um, places to step off the trail if I need to, um, water, Mm. restrooms, things like that available.
1: Fantastic. And I guess I think this maybe is a, a little natural segue, but... Could you tell me a little bit about the guides you're, you're working with with Falcon um, in terms of you know, when could we expect and what, what are we um, looking at?
0: Yeah, um I just finished the manuscript.
1: Like congratulations. Uh- <laughs> Snaps for you. All right.
0: Yeah, yeah thank you. It's been a an intense two-year project mm-hmm. um, which was much more complicated by COVID and wildfire wildfires yes, and snowstorms you
1: know, all of it. That is, yeah. <laughs> all of it. Just all of it. 2021, 2020, all of it. Just <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah. So it's uh, scheduled publication in June of 2022, cool. and it covers all of like, Western Washington, Western mm-hmm. Oregon, basically the West the Coast. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's, I think, almost 50 um, hikes in there, but it, it includes scenic drives and viewpoints, and picnic areas, and hikes, and wheelchair-accessible trails. So I really tried to provide. Um, a variety of options for people, you know, wherever they are and whatever their comfort and ability and experience levels are so that they have something available to them to try.
1: That sounds wonderful. And, um, I'm hoping that it, you continue this, right? Is that the plan? Are you, are you planning to do more guides for other places in the country?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's,
1: Absolutely. that's the hope. <laughs> that's the hope. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Saren, i am I've enjoyed our conversation so much today. Um, You've given me certainly a a whole different perspective when we consider accessibility and particularly what we might need to do. And I guess we consider outdoor spaces. I'd love to end with you telling us a little bit about what you're looking forward to, right? We've been going through this pandemic and everybody's sort of a little down, but so we need a little joy. So what are you, what are you excited about? What, um, You know, where are you going hiking next?
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, well, I'm actually leaving in a couple of weeks to drive cross-country back to Florida um, to spend um, a couple of months there visiting my folks and then coming back. So I'll be, you know, doing some stops and projects and events along the way. Um, So, you know, folks can definitely follow us um, for more information about that. And um, next year, I'm hoping to start doing um, more training programs and um, launching chapters of disabled hikers around the country, um, oh, very cool. training more disabled folks to, to do this work in their own communities. So
1: oh, That's fantastic. I love to hear it. Well, again, Siren, I thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate our conversation. I hope those listening uh, enjoyed it as well. I'm sure they did. Um, you've given me so much to think about and i, I really do appreciate it. oh with that um we do have a question that popped in which is fantastic so melly bean 1718 said which is siren's favorite accessible hike in the north cascades and that's a great question
0: mm, yeah um so, I mean, of course I have to ask, and maybe if you want to speak to this, what does accessible mean for you? Are you asking for a wheelchair accessible trail or just kind of a quote unquote easy trail
1: or? Yeah. Melly Bean, what are you looking for? Maybe. Cool. Okay. Wheelchair, um, but also easy to get to. So that's what Melly's is looking for.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of trails around Mount Baker that are pretty accessible. Um, there's um, Artist Point, and of course these are have a really short hiking period, right, because of winter yep. and all of that. But um, Artist Point has some really nice accessible viewpoints in a trail. There's um, Picture Lake, Fire and Ice Trail, um, and then a little further south, open a little more uh, longer duration. There's um, Thunder Creek Trail, out Highway 20 is really beautiful and then there's um a boardwalk short boardwalk trail called happy creek nature trail that is really nice
1: there you go Melly. that is that is a lot of recommendations so i'll have to uh, i want to mention that um transcripts will be available so Melly, if you didn't catch it all that will be open for you so you can go back and read it i know i certainly will and when i'm in the north uh pacific northwest again I'm certainly going to reach out to you Siren for some, some good, some good options. You're very welcome, Millie. With that Siren, again, I thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. I loved having you here.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, enjoyed All it.
1: Right. I'd like to thank Siren again for joining me for this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it, too. If you did, take a second and head over and rate the show. Share it with whoever you can find. It really, really does help for others to find us. Stay tuned past the outro for another podcast I think you might find pretty interesting. Disability Movement Etc. is produced by me, Dr. Andy, for my one-person production company, That Hippie Media. I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to have fun. The audio was recorded and mixed and edited by me. So is all the digital art, but you can't see that because it's the podcast. If you'd like to watch the growing archive of conversations, head over to the YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you want to learn more about the show and see some of our past episodes, head to dismoveetc.live or you can subscribe and find us wherever you might listen. To support the show, find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash you'd like to buy show merch, I know, I'm a pretty big nerd. You can find that at thathippiestore.square.site. I'd like to thank my friend, Adrian Doc Blust, for composing the music for this show. And lastly, I'd like to thank all of you. Happy you're here, and I hope you'll join me next time. Today's sponsor is Kitcaster. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand voice? Here's a secret: we all want to feel connected to the brands we buy from. And what better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your story on a podcast? Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time you explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from the staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in the podcasting business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. Go to kitcaster.com backslash disboove, etc. to apply for a special offer for the friends and listeners of this particular podcast. Hey, Maya. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm hanging in there. It's been a rough couple of weeks, to be honest, but, you know, I'm super excited to talk to you.
0: I am so excited that we are connected because our shows, I think, are just so similar and they cover such important topics.
1: I've listened to a few episodes of your show and it... It has just given me a lot of insight, a lot of things I never really thought about. Could you tell me a little bit more about your show? Yes. So my show is called Proud Stutter. It really is a show aimed to shift the narrative around stuttering to really spread awareness
0: about some of the um, harmful stereotypes that exist in the media and to slowly... One conversation at a time, just normalize and destigmatize stuttering. It's just a different way of speaking.
1: Yeah. And and I have to say, new episodes of Proud Stutter are out every other Friday. And your next episode is going to be out Friday, March 11th. And so anybody listening, if you want to learn more about the show and how to support Maya and Cynthia, head over to proudstutter.com. My, I'm so glad we got together and we learned a little bit about each other's show. Yeah, this
0: is so fun. Thanks, Andy.